One of my favorite movies is the movie Saving Private Ryan. How many of y'all have seen that movie? Yeah, a lot of you have. And I guess one of the things I like about that movie is that it, it really depicts, uh, illustrates, helps us feel what it was like to be involved in armed conflict. And there's this, this sense of fear that, that really goes all through the movie. Uh, from the very opening where, where our men are storming Omaha Beach, what it must have been like as they were in those U-boats and they were, as they were getting on, off those U-boats, going on to the, to the beach, uh, under experiencing a lot, of, a lot of fire. And really all through that movie, you have this, this sense of, of fear and at one point, you see the Tom Hanks character, and he plays a wonderfully heroic character, but, but you'll just notice, and it's very, a very subtle thing all through the movie, you see Hanks's hand just start to twitch a little bit. It's like he, ha- he has been under this incredible amount of, of stress and strain and difficulty and, and fear, and it's, it's coming out of his hand. You know, all of us at one time or another experience fear. And probably there's no fear like when you're involved in armed conflict. Uh, let's just do this at the very beginning. If you've uh, ever been involved in, uh, been a part of the armed services, would you raise your hand, those men and women? Would you recognize them and thank them for the great... Thank you so much. Thank you so much for defending our, our country. And those of us who have not had that experience have a hard time understanding what you've experienced and gone through. But all of us in the room, we've, we've, there have been times in our lives when we've experienced fear. And sometimes fear is, you know, uh, maybe not specific. It's more like anxiety. And at other times, fear is, is something that, that we know is coming up, maybe. Or maybe it's a work-related issue, or perhaps it's an issue that has to do with a family or a relationship. We know what it's like to experience fear. Or maybe it's just something that happens, and in that moment we experience fear. I've told you this story before, but it's so good, I've got to tell you again. I'll never forget, I, I hadn't been married that long. It was way before kids. And my wife and I were taking this trip, it was around the holidays, taking this trip up to see my mom and dad around Christmas time. And so we were, um, it was raining during uh, that, that day when we were about to leave. In fact, we heard a story about how some of the roads were starting to close because of flooding. So I called the state police. We were going to be taking 45 east north from Jackson up through southern Illinois. Called the state police. They said 45 east is still open, but you need to leave soon because it's, it's raining heavy. And so we got all of our stuff together in our little car, packed everything, and off we went. And I'll never forget how the rain was just coming down in sheets. And as we were traveling on 45 East, we were just watching as the water got closer and closer to the edges of the road. Until finally the water was coming up on the road, and there was this, I was involved in this long line of traffic. It wasn't two-way traffic, just one line of traffic. And the water gets higher and higher and higher. At one point, I couldn't even see through my uh, windshield because the rain was coming down so hard. And so I rolled the window down to kind of look out to get my bearings. And I couldn't even see the white line any longer. The water was over the road. I wanted to turn around, but I realized I couldn't because it was a long line of traffic. And if I stopped, I had this sense that my car would flood out. 
And so being newly married, I wanted to be the leader and I wanted to be seen as someone who was, um, you know, courageous and all of that. And I could tell in my wife's eyes that she was nervous. She was fearful. I looked out the window and there the water was lapping up on the side of the car. I saw her fear. I realized I needed to say something. So I looked at her and I said, honey, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. She said, calm down. It's going to be okay. And after a while, we did, we did make it. The, the, there was a little rise in the road, and we got up to the top. And I'll, I'll never forget what happened. Long line of cars. The, the road kind of goes up, and there's a little gas station, a little parking lot area. Everybody starts pulling off the side of the road. We all pulled off the side of the road. We got out of our cars, and we started hugging each other. We started embracing each other. We started celebrating because we'd just been through this incredible experience, and we lived to tell about it. I mean, it was incredible. I think that was one of the most fearful moments in my life because as we were traveling on that road, I had this image in my mind. You know, you hear these stories about cars being swept, swept by. All of us in this room have struggled with the giant called fear. In Scripture, the command to fear not is the most often quoted command in your Bible. In fact, I read this week that the phrase fear not is found 366 times in your, in your Bible. One for every day in the year, including leap year. And I think that's the case because we all know fear is so pervasive. And that doesn't even include all of the statements like, do not be afraid, take courage, take, car, take heart. The Lord knows that we struggle with fear. And so I, I want to know, how do we deal with fear? I want to say at the very beginning of this message that there is a, what I will call, a right kind of fear. In fact, if I could subtitle this, this sermon, it would be called Understanding the Right Kind of Fear. Because the right kind of fear, which I want to say is the fear of God, this right kind of fear has the power to drive out the fear of other things and other people. And so in contrast to the command, fear not, you will also find in your Bible the phrase, fear God. And it's really found all through Scripture. So you find in places like Genesis chapter 42 and verse 18, Joseph declared that he feared God, and, and because of that, he wins his brother's trust. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 17, because the Hebrew midwives feared God, they chose to obey God rather than, rather than the instructions they were given to kill all of the little boys. In Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21, Moses chose leaders. Leaders who would come alongside and help him because they feared God. And he knew because of that, they would not be so willing to take bribes. All through the book of Proverbs, you see this phrase, fear God. The most well-known, perhaps, is Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, where it says, the fear of the Lord, notice, is the beginning of wisdom. And then in Proverbs 19, 23, and I love this verse, it says, the fear of the Lord the fear of God leads to life. You want to experience life, a life where you thrive and are filled with joy. It comes as we understand what it means to fear God. 
And then in our scripture reading for this morning in Psalm 34 and verse 7, David makes this incredible promise as he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Think about that. An angel of the Lord encamps around those of us who fear the Lord. And what will he do? He will deliver us. And then he issues this command just two verses later down in verse 9 where he says, fear the Lord, you his holy people. And he follows that with yet another promise where he says, for those who fear him lack nothing. How would, how would you like that to be said of you? You're the kind of person that's, that's fulfilled. You're the kind of person that really lacks nothing. And we've barely touched the hem of the garment of all the passages in your Bible that talk about the fear of God. You come to the New Testament and you find that phrase used over and over. Jesus at one point in his ministry says, don't be afraid of those people who can kill your soul or can kill your body but can't touch your soul. No, says Jesus, you fear God. You know, we hear a lot of sermons on the love of God. A lot of sermons on how compassionate God is. We hear messages on the mercy of God. And all those sermons are important. I, I love those messages. But when's the last time you heard a good sermon on what it means to fear the Lord? You read through Scripture and you see the great leaders feared God. Joseph and Moses and David and, and Jesus. They all talk about what it means to fear the Lord. And so I guess that's the question I want to wrestle with for just a minute today, is what does it actually mean to fear the Lord? Well, I'm indebted to John Yates, who helped me this week understand what it means to fear the Lord. He says it really means three things. It first means to revere God, to honor God, to respect God. Now, friends, we're part of a culture that often uses the names Jesus and God in such flippant and offhand ways. In fact, there are some people who never utter those, those words or names until they hit their thumb with a hammer and then suddenly that comes out of their lips. And yet, the Jewish people so revered the covenant name of God, Yahweh, that they would not utter it audibly. It was much too sacred. To fear God is to revere God. But I want to suggest it's even more than that. It also means to be in absolute awe of God. And what is awe? Awe is, is it's respect mixed with fear. When we experience the awe of God, when we experience the awe of God, it'll affect us intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, I think even physically. We'll be overwhelmed by the, pu the purity, the justice, the righteousness, the greatness, the glory of God. And we really see this all through Scripture. So to fear God is to be in awe of God. When we see God, when we get a glimpse of God, friends, we will experience the fear of God. And so in Matthew chapter 17, you have this story that you're probably familiar with. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John with him up on a high mountain. And this was an incredible moment because Jesus was, as, as Matthew says, transfigured before them. The word transfigured means they were transformed. For just a moment, God pulled back the, the humanity of Jesus, and they got a glimpse of Jesus' divinity and glory. It was an incredible moment. 
And then you may recall that this cloud descends on the mountain. And then suddenly they hear the voice of God. Can you imagine that? To hear the audible voice of God. And God says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And you remember how the disciples respond to that. It says that the disciples fall face down. And the scripture says they were terrified. And then Jesus touches them and says, don't don't be afraid. You see, we're to fear God, but not to be frightened by God. And when they look up, all they see is Jesus. What had they experienced? They had experienced the awe of God. When, When we see God, we will experience his awe. There's one more thing. To fear God is to be fearful of dishonoring, disappointing, or displeasing God. I think that's what was going on in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Our message series is based on that moment when David goes into battle with Goliath. And here is David, this young boy. He's probably, um, in the eyes of the brothers, you know, the the least likely person to go into battle against this nine-foot giant we know as Goliath. Every day, Goliath would come out and he would tart taunt the armies of the living God. One day, young David happened to be there. He sees what's going on. He sees Goliath come out and taunt the armies of the living God, and he is appalled. He can't believe what he's just seen. David is not going to let this stand. You see, he's insulted the people of God, and by by implication, he has uh, uh, insulted God himself. And so we learn something very, very important here. You see, the right kind of fear has the power to drive out other fear. David feared God. And because he had this sense within him, this fear of dishonoring, disappointing, displeasing God, he marched into battle. His other brothers didn't. I don't think they had that same sense of fear of God. They were more afraid of the giant than they were of Almighty God. But David goes into battle. As I've said before, and it's a paraphrase of Oswald Sanders, you see, if, if we truly fear God, we don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone. But friends, if we don't fear God, if God is a thousand miles from our mind and we don't even think about much about God, I, we should be afraid of everything. And so the question I've grappled with this week that I want you to grapple with with me for just a moment today is so how do we how do we develop this right kind of fear? If this if this fear is so powerful that it has the power to drive out other kinds of fears, how do we capture this this fear of God? Well, David tells us in Psalm 34 verse 11, he says, "Come my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord." I love that verse. Come, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And so I want to know, how do we learn to fear the Lord? Because you see, friends, if we're not careful, we can forget the fear of the Lord. And when we do, we lose something very significant, very important. I love Luke's summary of the early church in Acts chapter 9. He says down in verse 31, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. 
I mean, I, I love what's going on. Here's a church that's at peace. Isn't that great? Here's a church that was, was being strengthened by the Holy Spirit. That's fantastic. Here's a church that was growing in numbers. Wow, that's awesome. I want to know how that happened. You see, I look at the church in America, and regardless of what denomination you choose, it doesn't matter across the board, whatever denomination, just choose one. And you will see there's a bit of a, a crisis going on. And the crisis is they're scratching their heads. Yeah, every, every denomination can point to a church or two here or there that is growing and thriving and making a difference in the community. But by and large, churches in America are flat and stagnant. And I wonder, why is that? It could be. Because we've lost in our country a sense of the fear of the Lord. So how do we recapture it? How do we learn to fear the Lord? I want to mention two or three things. I would say, first of all, we learn to fear the Lord by immersing our minds in the whole of Scripture. While certainly the covenants change, the character of God does not. As we immerse our minds in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we come to to see and appreciate the character of God. And as we read those narratives, as we read those stories closely, we begin to see that God is almighty and God is powerful and God is loving and kind. But we also see that God is a God of wrath and God is a God of justice. We get a complete or full picture of what God is like as we fill our minds with Scripture, immerse our minds in the Word of God. We run across passages like Romans chapter 3. I love this passage. Because in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 10 through about verse 23, Paul paints a picture of what a person looks like who's separate from God. What a person looks like who's fallen and broken. And so he says in verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. I want to say, wait a minute, Paul, you sound a little negative. There's none righteous, no, not one. Then down in verse 23, he says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then from 10 to 23, he describes a mouth that's full of bitterness, and he talks about feet that are quick to shed blood. He just goes on and on and describes a person who's just kind of living on his own or her own, just a person who's just kind of doing what they want to do, just doing what comes natural. And then he, I think, describes the essence of sin down in verse 18, where he says, and I like the New Living Translation, They have no fear of God at all. When we immerse our minds in Scripture, we develop this healthy fear of the Lord. I would also say we learn to fear the Lord when we look to the cross and we take what happened on the cross seriously. The cross says so many things. One of the things the cross says, it says something about the amazing love of God. We look at the cross and we see, we see the nails driven through his hands and we think, Jesus did that for me, for you. And we look at the crown of thorns that was jabbed on his scalp. We see, mud, uh, 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 we see blood that's dripping down his forehead. And we think he did that all for us. And what it says is how much God loves each and every one of us. But the cross also communicates the idea of wrath and judgment. Remember, the sky turns dark for three hours. That's a sign of judgment from noon until three. In the midst of that darkness, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And we know what happens in that moment. In that moment, God poured out his wrath. Who did he pour his wrath out on? On me, on you, on, on us who deserve it because we're sinful? No. He poured his wrath out on the only innocent one who ever walked the earth, the only pure one who walked the earth, the only person who never sinned who walked the earth. He, he poured out his wrath on him. Jesus willingly took our place. When we look at the cross, we see something of the love of God. It's amazing. We also see something of the wrath of God. It's, inc- it's, a, it's incredible. It's a powerful picture of his wrath. We learn something when we look at the cross the full picture of the cross, we learn something about the glorious fear of God. And I would say one other thing about how do we learn the fear of God. We learn the fear of the Lord when we cultivate a sense of God's presence. You see, there's a doctrine we didn't talk much about in churches of Christ forever. I offended a lady. I was at another church and I was talking about our impoverished view of the Holy Spirit. Oh man, she got upset with me. And yet we have had an impoverished view of the Holy Spirit. We basically taught that God's Spirit kind of dwells in the Bible, and that's it. But if you teach a full teaching, what, what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit, if you teach that when you, when you embrace Jesus, that God comes to live in your heart by His Spirit, that God desires to be that near you, it's, it's a powerful teaching. God is high and lifted up. God is... is you know, high and holy. He's transcendent. But God is also imminent. That means God indwells us. God is near us. When we perceive that God is distant, or when we forget God, when we think God is with us on a Sunday, and then we go about our lives, we have little sense of the fear of God. And yet when we leave this place, and we know, yes, God was here, God inhabits the praises of his people. God gathers with us on Sunday. We praise God, but God also lives in us on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. When we have a sense of his presence, his nearness, I think we develop a sense of the fear of God. Now, I used to think the fear of God was a negative thing. But I've come to understand, I cannot fully understand the love of God without understanding the fear of God. To fear God is to stand in awe of God. To be afraid of God is to run away from God. There's a huge difference. Here's how John Yates puts it, and I love his words. He says, once a person moves from the fright of God to the fear of God, he can then begin to understand the love of God. Psalm 147 and verse 11, the psalmist says this, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. And so today as we come to the end of this message, let me try my best to make this very um, practical for all of us in this room. Let me ask you a question. What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that thing that you're afraid of right now Maybe it has to do with your workplace situation. It might be uh, something going on regarding your job. Maybe you're worried about losing your job or, or maybe you're trying to get another job. 
Or maybe it's a family matter. Maybe, maybe you're concerned for your grandkids or maybe your great-grandkids. Maybe you have some grandkids that really, they don't care anything about God and you can't get them interested in coming to church. Maybe it's that. And you're, you're worried for their soul. Maybe it's that. Uh, maybe it's a, a monetary issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. You're, you're, you're fearful. Because quite honestly, you have a difficult time making ends meet. What is it right now? Name it. Be sp- as specific as you can. We said at the very beginning of this sermon that the right kind of fear has the power, it does, the right kind of fear has the power to drive out other fears. I, I want to quote Oswald Sanders. I-, 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 I paraphrased him a minute ago, but here's what he actually said. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear no one, nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Name that fear. And then today, would you give that fear to God? Would you put your hope in Him, in in His unfailing love for you? I know this is a process, and it takes time. And and as I prepared this sermon this week, I thought, God forbid that I would stand in front of you and act like this is just really easy and make a glib statement like I've made. Just All you got to do, just you just fear God, and you're not going to fear anything else. I know it's hard. It's difficult. It is a process. But would you today, would you this morning, would you take that thing you're fearful of? It's a giant. It taunts you. It's intimidating to you. Would you take that thing and would you now give it to God? God is bigger than any fear that we face. A passage of Scripture that means a lot to me that I quote all the time is 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. There, there are a few weeks that go by when I'm counseling with someone and someone talks to me about something that they're struggling with, talks to me about some fear that they're experiencing. I will quote 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7 which says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you think about that verse cast what does that mean throw it drop it where at the feet of jesus we've said all through this message series we said that that a lot of times we'll read first samuel uh, chapter 14 uh, 17 and we'll think that we are the giant slayer that we've got to go marching in against our goliath we got to have that courage and we're going to bring him down the truth of the matter is jesus has already brought him down and so now will we trust jesus peter says this one who knew jesus so well cast throw drop all your anxieties cast all your anxieties on him why because he cares for you and once you do that walk away from it don't pick it back up don't pick it back up you're going to want to do that you're fearful about something you're struggle with struggling with something you want to give it to jesus and you give it to him for just a minute and you'll take a step back and then i'm gonna pick it back up no don't pick it back up you let him have it because he cares for you he's going to work it out would you trust him this morning let's go to our heavenly father in prayer father I know a lot of us in this room, me included, are fearful about things from time to time. God, I pray that you'd be with us as we give that, give that to Jesus. Empower us to do that. God, we know you are sovereign. Your way is always best. We want to be men and women who this week have a sense of your nearness. 
Oh God, we want to be people who are in awe of you. God, you are almighty and all-powerful. So Father, and we know you are loving. So God, I pray that we will give those things that we struggle with right now to you. This is Jesus' name.